Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Whether you're looking to get on your very first store shelf or you're looking to grow your national or even international food brand, this podcast is going to teach you what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale a packaged food brand. Hear the food founder journeys of brands growing in their industry so you can fast track your food business success. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. Hey, food friends. Welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Today, I am here with Matt LaRochelle from Matt and Steve's. Matt, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Well, this is great. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to have you on here and just to hear the story of how you guys got to where you are um, and and just share what the journey has been like. So maybe for anyone who doesn't know, Matt and Steve's, can you kick it off by just letting us know what exactly you guys sell and who do you try to serve with your products? Sure. Uh, well, it started really kind of organically. Me and Steve were bartending. We were living in a 600 square foot apartment and Steve came home one day. We were roommates. He came over and says, Matty, I want to put something funky in your Caesar. He saw all the Caesar drinks that were going over the wood every day. And he goes, we can do some better than a celery stick. And it, it, it was more like an idea of kind of like, we could do this. We could do something better. So he says, I said, what do you want to put in? He says, I want to put a bean in it. I said, well, if we're going to put a bean in it, we're going to pickle it and make it spicy. He says, fine. Do you know how to pickle anything? I said, I don't have to pickle anything. But I'll tell you what, my mom knows how to pickle stuff. So let's give her a shout. So I called her and, uh, you know, I'll say exactly what I said. I said, mom, how do you pickle? And she's like, well, write this down. So me and Steve wrote this down. You know, young guys, that's what you do. You call your mom when you don't know what you're doing in the kitchen. And we wrote it down. We said, okay, this doesn't look overly complicated. I used to watch them do it. You know, I'm French Canadian. So my parents used to pick the garden and pickle things every fall. It didn't seem that complicated. So I was like, Steve, we can do this. We got this. So we went out to the grocery store and, you know, found this specialty bean and we coined it the extreme bean. And we brought it back to the apartment and it was a KY flat bean and we loved it because it grew longer and it could stick out of a Caesar, essentially. Um, later, we found out that it was sweeter, it was crunchier, so it, it really worked. It was kind of happenstance that we found this bean. Um, so as we brought it home and we started pickling it and it's not as easy as it sounds. You know, things blew up, you know. You couldn't bring a girl over our apartment when we were young because it, it smelled like vinegar and like rotting beans in the corner. Like it was just an awful experience uh for anybody but you know the stuff that did work out you know we tried it on ourselves first and you know it, it tastes absolutely fantastic and so we decided to go to every food service trade show essentially from Halifax to Victoria and that's where the journey really started and essentially what, what how we wanted to people to what we want people to do was take the celery stick out and put this extreme bean in it and really it was a simple message you know we said you know consistent cost premium product no prep no waste essentially and it kind of got on some traction and, and the product was really good and then it started to grow and so it, it grew from one product one idea the extreme bean and yeah so that's how kind of how we started but it, it was essentially it was around a caesar we used it for the sampling opportunity now people snack on it and use it for all kinds of different ways and you know we have line extensions we have the extreme bean the asparagus the extreme pickle spear yeah and recently we launched um the uh, rtd caesar so, yeah, but it all started kind of from that one idea of just trying to make the Caesar better. That's typically how things kind of start. It's like, how do I make this better? This is boring. Like Canadians, mm -hmm. we love Caesars up here. Oh, we sure do. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. it's like, why are we just having it with boring celery? And you 
I mean, when you look at the Caesar category now and you just look how people enjoy them, mm-hmm. I would almost say you guys are almost like the grandfather to help making them like less boring and spicing them up and adding some real flavor to them. Yeah. And that's exactly what we were trying to do. And we, we, we went on this journey of Caesar and it was like, okay, first we put the bean in and we said, okay, that's way better. And then we looked at the Caesar rim and we're like, well, that's just salt and celery seed. I was like, we could do that better. So we, you know, we made a gourmet Caesar rim, nice and chunky on the glass, tastes fantastic. Then we started putting the, you know, the brine in the Caesar, like a little bit extreme bean brine. And, you know, but this is all through all these shows, these thousands of Canadians that we've been talking to over the years and said, you know, this is really good. This is not it. And then we kind of ran out of things to do. So we said, well, let's just make the Caesar. <laughs> so then we made the Caesar and we launched it with the LCBO um, this spring. And it's, it, 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 it was an interesting, because that's a whole diversion from what we were doing, right? We were a pickling company and uh, we knew that really well at that time. And we jumped into this RTD beverage category, but it's going well so far. Yeah. And it does make sense. It's like, even though it's a line extension, that's not in the pickling vein. It's like, that is the end product of how people are using your product. And I was sharing this with you before we hit record in terms of like, when I just taste the pickle on its own, it just makes you want a <laughs> Caesar, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is incredible. Like, cause I, I munch on pickles all the time and I do not right. have that same visceral reaction yeah. any other time except for your guys' product. Yeah. And I think that's really over 20 years of traveling Canada and our products are associated with Caesars. Um, you know, that, that is something that we've been building. For, and it's not really what we intended to be this Caesar company, because now we have, essentially now, like we, we sell a ton of, um, you know, beans. And if everybody put a bean in the Caesar, we'd be a nation of alcoholics, uh, right? <laughs> right. So now people are snacking on them. They're using them for all kinds of different ways and uh, applications. But that's, you know, the, where it all started was... Uh, in a beverage. So you went to all these trade shows, coast to mm-hmm. coast, all these food service trade shows. Was food service mm-hmm. where you initially launched and where you really wanted to grow the company from the beginning? Well, it was where we were initially launched is because that's what we knew, right? We were bartending, uh, you know, we were in the restaurant business for many years, uh, me and Steve. So it's kind of what we knew. We had connections there. Um, we thought this was an amazing application for it. Um, but the growth of the company really started once we hit retail. Um, that was when things really started to take off. Food service is a beautiful channel and it's very reliable, but the volume is at, at retail. What was that learning curve kind of like for you guys going from food service to retail? What did you guys have to kind of rethink with that transition? A lot, right? It, it, it's very different. We had, First of all, we brought a, a different pack size in because uh, our food service pack size is just too big. So we had to reformulate and figure that out. Um, but the other thing was retail and food service just behave totally different. If you have demand on the food service side, like a bar or restaurant, you know, watch your product, you can pretty much get it into most of your distributors with relatively ease. You know, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying, you know, comparative to, but retail is different. You have, you don't have that point of contact where a consumer can just walk into a grocery store and say, Hey, by the way, just list this because I want it. Um, where you kind of get that at food service. So you need to go to the category managers and the buyers. Um, and the bigger the prize, the more, you know, you have to invest in 
in that. And, and that was a real steep learning curve for me and Steve. And so we got to outlay, you know, all this cash to get this shelf space. Like this is, seems really foreign to us. So you have to get your head around that. And once you do, you really understand that, you know, h- how it all works. But that was a little bit of a learning curve saying like, really? Like, wow. And when you're starting out as a company, cash is king. And, you know, putting all that out for an unknown was something that we had to learn to do and to be okay with it. What gave you guys the confidence to want to go forward with that? Because some people might be like, hey, we're doing well in food service. Let's just continue to grow this way versus trying to go retail. A lot of people never make that jump. Like you guys clearly wanted mm-hmm. the the growth and you saw that, but what, I don't know, like what made you guys decide like, yes, we see this big vision that we know that Canadians need this in their homes as well. Um, yeah. What other than like just seeing the pure growth and maybe that is just the pure growth. Like what gave you guys the like, okay, it's worth this investment. Let's do it. Well, it was a little bit the growth, but the growth was unseen yet. So we thought that we could do really well at retail, but we didn't know, right. You know, it's, you know, with hindsight 2020, but we didn't have any hindsight. So it was really a risky proposition for us to do this. But I remember talking to, um, you know, one of my friends, but he, he was an older gentleman and he's gone through it again. And I remember having a beer with him and, and I was telling him this astronomical money that, you know, I thought at the time was astronomical and I was like, you know, scared out of my uh, pants to, uh, to lay this out. And he just simply said, he's, he, it's, he was like, it's all about ROI. It's like, it doesn't matter how much money you put out, as long as at some point you get it back and you have to define what that timeline is, but do the math and try to figure it out, make your assumptions and do the math the best that you can and what you can live with and then go in and either they'll say yes or they'll say no. Good uh, news for us, he said yes, it worked out, um, but it was more of an analytical approach than an emotional approach. And I think anytime that, you know, you are putting your own, that kind of money or anything, you know, out before you kind of can see it coming back, um, gets emotional. And he helped me just take the emotion out of it. Numbers will always make decisions so much easier. <laughs> I always think it's like, let's just run the numbers and then we can right. find a C. And there's still, there's guesstimating in parts of that because you're not sure yet, but you're right. It helps take the emotion out of it. And you're like, okay, well, the data says this. Great. Right. Let's go. Exactly. And it's, sometimes it's wrong, but that, you know, you do your best that you can. You take all the data points that you have, you put it in. And then at the end of the day, it's up to you to make the decision whether you go forward on that information or you don't. But it's something, something's another, um, I had a CFO and he told me, and we were talking about something financial. And um, he said, even when you don't make a decision, you're making a decision. You're constantly making a decision not to make a decision. And, it, you know, now he told me this, this must be six years ago now. And it's always resonated with me because it's true. Like even by, if you procrastinate or push it to the side because you're on, you tell yourself you have just made a conscious decision to push this aside. And that might be the perfect thing to do, but it just brought closure to a lot of these things. It's like, okay, I am actively going to put this on the shelf for three months, but at three months I need to make, I need to revisit that or I'm making the decision right now. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to frame you may, as a leader of a company, trying to, even when you don't make a decision, you're making a decision. Yeah, that's really powerful. That gets you to be more active in anything that you're doing or not doing. But yeah, I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. When you guys, okay, you guys have learned a lot. You've been doing this for 20 years. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I hate to say it, but yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, <laughs> well, we first had the idea about 20 years ago, so we never, I quit my full-time job in 2010 to focus on, uh, on this. So, you know, when I call my mother up, it's probably getting, maybe not quite there, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's close to that for sure. That's incredible that like that's that focus I think is really key. What do you think that like you know now as a business leader this far into it that you wish you knew at the beginning early stages with it? I think in the early stages you just have a lot of doubt um, and, and it's not just with yourself. It's like do I have the right product? You know do I have the right approach? Am I the right person? Is this the right path for me? Is this the right path for the people I employ? Like and I think over time, it's not, you know, you wake up one morning and you don't have that doubt anymore. But I think over time, there's an erosion of your doubt in a good way. And it comes after making a lot of good decisions. You know, you're going to make some bad ones. That's just how, how, how life goes. But that doubt slowly fades away. And I wish I would have known that years ago when you have this doubt and you say, okay, is this the right thing? It, it does go away. And you you get a little you know, stronger in your footing and you can make decisions faster. You don't go back on yourself. Like, was that the right one? Not the wrong one. It's done. It's made, but that takes a lot of, a lot of years, but I wish I would have known that. It's like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the doubt. The doubt will go away as long as you continue to make some good decisions. Yeah. I think that's really powerful to like recognize just, it Mm. will go away eventually. And I think that's also part of you guys have continued to go really deep on the line that you have um, and stick true. Like you guys know the pickling business, you know, the Caesar business, like that's what you guys know so well. And when you start to just know that all, then decisions can come a lot easier because you've figured out a lot of these pieces already. Yeah. And I think the pickling business is one thing, but I think really understanding your brand and defining. So if, if what I would have liked to do, maybe had bit earlier than we actually got to it was really define our culture and our our core values and our brand and what are our brand pillars because as um, I think we did it in just the nick of time because as you grow you get a lot of pressures like there's a lot of pressures there's I guess there's always pressures but um, as you grow you get a lot of pressures to do other things you know to take this diversion or take this new path because that's where the revenue is or you know that just seems like easy money over there or easy business or that's where one of your you know top executives are pushing you to go try and it's really helped us all when we defined which we did about five years ago really sharply defined our brand and what our brand is and then also sharply define our core culture and who we are and when things fall outside of those bumpers, it's an easy no, right? And when they fall inside those bumpers, it's kind of an easy yes. Like, let's explore that. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was an important piece to growth, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Having those parameters allow you to just make decisions a lot easier and know that you're making them from, like, the the data also, like, of what your brand is. That is a piece of data mm. as well. Our brand will be this. Our brand won't be that. That's mm-hmm. so important, especially as you grow to stay true to who you are, because that's how people perceive you, right? So that's you right. built up all this equity. Um, it's important to continuously stay true to that. 100%. Talk to me about something that you guys are working on right now that's taking you into next stage of growth, whatever that may be for you, or just a new learning piece that you guys are focusing on um, in the business. 
Yeah, uh, next stage. So right now we're working a lot in the U.S. Now we're bringing out some U.S. clients. I think we're in six of the top 10 retailers, which is really exciting. Uh, but it's again, it's we don't really know the U.S. landscape and we're learning as we go. It's different. There's some things that uh, behave extremely different than the Canadian re- retail scape. And so we're walking slowly that we have lots of things to do here in Canada, which is a really a new thing that we just launched in May. I think we might have already touched on it, but our Caesar, our Caesar in a can, um, this guy right here, we, we've spent two years developing this. Um, and one of our major objectives was we just can't launch anything. We, we have everyone. So our brand pillars are tasty, topical, social, and fun. And the tasty is, is a synonym for, you know, quality. Like everything we launch has to be the best. We, we feel, you know, obviously a little biased probably, but we feel is the best on the market. So it took us two years to come up with this formulation. We've gone through hundreds. And the reason why it's taken so long, because we just weren't. We just felt that we were not the best. And we kept on pushing it off, holding it off. And in the fall of last year, around September, November, we, we got all of our data back that said we were better. We were the best on the market. Now, again, bias, right? But this was a blind sampling and, you know, we, we, we did it above board. Um, but I also personally felt that it was there. And then we launched. So that's a very exciting thing. It brings us into a whole new channel of business is the beverage um, outside the pickle industry. Um, it's, it's not working with the likes of, you know, Loblaws or Walmarts or those kind of things. But it's working with the LCBO, which is a different uh, challenge. Um, but yeah, we are tackling that with, uh, with vigor and we're, we're really, really excited about it. Yeah. I'm excited to see you guys continue to grow that. And just, you know, when I think about your brand pillars and when I think about just the equity that you have around that whole, around the whole category, really, Mm -hmm. I can see them all playing so nicely together, which is exciting. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, any advice for anyone, you know, who's at those beginning phases who might even be thinking, shoot, should I even go and do this? Um, any advice that you might have for them? Yeah, it, it, I, I do. It, it might be slightly risky, but just try it and figure it out later. You know, I can't even count how many times we tried something. It actually worked. And then we had to reverse engineer it back to going, okay, now how do we figure this out? Like, Oh my God. Right. I remember, you know, moving pickle production into Steve's parents' farmhouse because we got an order that we couldn't fill. I remember, you know, being up at uh, 2 a.m. in the morning and trying to fill up these bean barrels, hot boiling pickle. I'm the only one in the plant, spilled it all over me, you know, go home six o'clock in the morning, like red, full, like, but we got the order out. We did it. We tried it. And it was a thing Uh, that one, you know, that one, you know, worked pretty good in the end, not great, but we tried it and we learned a lot from it. So my advice to people that are on the edge, go in low cost, but try it, just figure it out. And you know, like knowledge is, is, is almost, or probably more so as important than cash. So everybody has cash problems at the beginning, but that's not their major problem. Their problem is knowledge problems, right? So I, I only know this because I look back at us at, you know, 26 years old. And although we didn't have any money, we didn't have any knowledge. We didn't know this business. We didn't know how to do this. We didn't know how to pickle. We didn't know. And once we gained the knowledge, it was easier to get the cash. 
so that is the thing. So even when you try something and it doesn't work out the way you want it, or it does, that's the ideal situation. You are, you're accumulating knowledge and knowledge in any business is, um, is king, you know, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think that is really, really sage advice for everyone. Okay. Where can people find you? I know we can find your new Caesar product in the LCBO. People who have been listening to this, who want to try the product, where, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, the LCBO for the uh, RTD, but uh, if you're looking for the extreme bean, the asparagus or the pickle spears, you can find them in any major groceries, Loblaws, uh, Walmart, uh, Metro, Sobeys, um, from coast to coast. So just go down your pickle aisle uh, and these should be there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing the journey of Matt and Steve's. Thanks, Ainsley. Had a blast. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. The Food Founders Podcast is brought to you by the Fab Growth Academy, the online hub for driven food and beverage business owners that want to get on more shelves, get into more homes, and really grow their food business. Inside the Fab Growth Academy... FAB standing for food and beverage, you'll have unlimited access to tools, resources, and training from myself and my food friends. So if you know you have a great product, let's work on building the business side of things so that more people can enjoy it and you can make the impact I know you want to make with your business. The Fab Growth Academy is now open. So hop on over to growmyfoodbrand.com to join me and your fellow food founders inside the Fab Growth Academy. I cannot wait to see you in there and help you grow your business.